It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Frederick Douglass once said, It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map of everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out great content for all age groups with new videos every week. So, Jonathan, what's up? What's happening? Good day. How are you? Hey, Rick. Our question this evening is, is fatherhood still vital? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him? Okay, so the question, is fatherhood still vital? We had Father's Day yesterday, so this is our follow-up. And look, folks, the whole idea of fatherhood seems to have changed. In this age of one-parent families, in which the present parent is overwhelmingly the mom, we accepted and embraced minimizing the need of a live-at-home dad. I certainly understand not wanting any child to feel inferior because they don't have a dad-in-law in their lives. But does that justify marginalizing every dad? So what is the role of fatherhood? Are there principles and practices of fathering that are concrete and should never change? How do we take the old-fashioned scriptural ways and apply them to men raising children in the 21st century? So coming up in today's podcast, face it, fatherhood is tough. So we're going to begin our understanding of it with the example of a man in scripture who was asked to embrace fatherhood toward an unborn child, not his own. So how can dads be effective when our society is set up to give their kids their own world? Well, segment two speaks to leading a family while under such duress. Now about this. Has the world crowded active fatherhood out? Are there too many other things to do and to give to your family that you want them to have? Well, segment three deals with figuring out a father's direction. To be a father is to put your children in a position to learn. How do you do that when you're not so sure yourself? And that's a really important question. In segment four, we look at the learning and application journey of fatherhood. And finally, in our last segment, What's the very best way to teach your children the life lessons they need to know? We're going to clearly define that answer. So, Rick, what are the most important things Christian dads should be aware of? How do they raise their children in an age where we have now begun to pronounce masculinity as toxic? Yeah, you know, I really don't like that whole thing. We probably won't talk about that much, but that really bugs me to tell you the truth. So, Jonathan, to talk about and help us put Father's and Father's Day and Scripture in perspective, we have brought in a special guest. We've got Julie back with us. Good day, Julie. How are you? 
Hi, Rick and Jonathan. I am I am doing great. Thank you. And you are a CQ contributor. Our, it's kind of like our sideline reporter, you know, like you and I do Facebook Live, and that's how I always introduce you there. Yes, I'm, I'm going to bring a few voices to you today to help us with this lesson. Okay. So, uh, Julie, we've got you here as the non-father to kind of direct the fatherhood lessons and sort of uh, bounce back things, hearing from fathers and what do they mean and, and how to put them in perspective and all that kind of stuff. So, and one of the things I learned is you don't have to be a father to know a good father and to also recognize a bad father. So there's a lot of things that we can do as spiritual parents as well, even if we don't have biological children. Okay, so Julie, we want to start out with a soundbite, but you wouldn't tell me what this soundbite was. So it's I have called... a mystery guest for you. Yes, you do. So what do you need to do to introduce the mystery guest? I think let's just play the mystery guest and we'll, we'll work through it. Okay, so this is it. I have no idea what this is. It should be good. Hi, Dad. Happy Father's Day and happy birthday. I wanted to thank you for raising me right and teaching me morals and ethics and the right way to treat people when I interact with them on a daily basis. You've been a big influence on how I perceive the world and how I should treat others. So thank you. I know that voice, Jonathan. Wow. That's your boy. <laughs> That's my boy, Paul. That was awesome. Thank you, Julie. You're welcome. Paul wanted to come on the show and provide just a, that welcome to you. And so I wanted to ask you, what was it like? Paul was your is your only son. What is your advice as to fatherhood, as to raising a child? Well, I tried to be a good dad to Paul. I taught him how important God and his word was and um, how to live. Uh, I also um, taught independence to Paul. Even um, when he was age 16, he bought his own used car with his own money that he saved, and he also paid his own car insurance. He worked at a dog kennel, and he really had a really good head on his shoulders. And now he's almost 30 years old, and he's very independent, uh, which I'm so glad. And maybe a little too much independent, because <laughs> we'd like to hear back from him a little bit more. Paul, <laughs> call, call your father. <laughs> But but I, I was talking with Jewel earlier about there's also balance. Um, I also want to try to have fun with my son as he was growing. One of my favorite memories at age 10, I was ready to drop him off at school. And uh, he opened the door to get out. And I said, ah, get back in here. Close that door. We're going to have a father Sunday. And Aww. we had a blast. We did all kinds of things, took pictures in a booth with funny faces. And, and, and it was awesome. So... Uh, there is a balance of, of teaching wonderful godly principles, but also being a dad and having fun. Well, there you go, Jonathan. Way to go. You were surprised, huh? I was. Totally <laughs> That's great. Good, good job, Julie, on that. Well, you know, and, and you know, that gives you a sense of, of the goodness of fatherhood. Now, let's look at the reality of fatherhood. Jonathan, there's a couple of things statistic-wise we want to put on the table. Let's get, let's get started with that. According to the Census Bureau's annual tables called Americans' Families and Living Arrangements, in 2018, of the estimated 73.7 million children in the United States, over 22%, that's 16,395,000, live with only mother. So that's a tough thing. We, we have a soundbite from Fathers.com, and it talks further about the impact of fatherlessness. Listen to this. This is this is a sad story, and folks, it's a it's a it really is a wake up call in a lot of ways. 
71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71% of all pregnant teenagers. 85% of all children with behaviour disorders. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Considering that the vast majority of prisoners come from fatherless homes and my own father's history, I think prison is the true place to go to uncover the real gritty truth about what's wrong with the family. And in the video, he is walking toward a prison as you hear him talking about that. And, and, and so the, the, these are very, very sobering, sobering statistics. And it really does point to the need for strong fatherhood. And so that's really what we want to spend our time talking about today. So as we get into this, we've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of different moving parts here. Jonathan, there's a really good quote from Clarence Buddington Kelland that we want to start with. My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. And, you know, I think that there is incredible wisdom in that. He didn't tell me how to live. He lived and he let me watch him. And you, we're going to find that that actually ends up being one of the greatest lessons of being a father or being an example. Because you know what? You don't have to be a father to be an example. Anybody can take the principles of fatherhood and make the lives of those around them better. And that's really one of the other uh, pictures here we want to get to. So, Julie, we want to do some life lessons uh, in fatherhood. Who is it that we chose to, 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 to focus on for fatherhood in the scriptures? Well, today we're going to look at Joseph, and it's Joseph, the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus. And, you know, I started looking at some of the scriptures that you wanted to use today, and I thought, what? Christmas? <laughs> it's it's June. <laughs> we're in the middle of June. And yet we're seemingly going over the Christmas story. So what's up with that? Well, no, we are not telling the Christmas story. We are telling the story of a father who is constantly in a situation that he needs to step up. This is the story of Joseph. It's not Jesus is a side player in the story we're telling today because we're going to focus on the fathering of Joseph. And folks, this is an amazingly inspirational story. So really stay with us as we unfold Joseph's life in a way that you probably have not heard before. So the segment theme, Jonathan, for, for the first segment, in one word, what is it? It's love. Okay. We're going to take that and run with it. Now, as we get started, we have another, another soundbite, Julie. So just give us a sense of, of what, what this particular sound, well, a little, maybe a little bit about the person. You're the one who got all these sound bites together. So what's going yeah, on? Well, let me introduce you to Dave. Dave is the father of four adult daughters, and he gave us some really good advice. And, and I chose Dave because he has these four daughters who are wonderful, and they've actually been on this program before. They had, they were, they sang on this program as a quartet way back, probably, wow, 10 years ago or so. Yeah, more than that. Um, and uh, he had some really good advice. Who else could put up with four daughters and a wife? And <laughs> for all we know, their dog is also female. So he, he deserves <laughs> something to say because he's putting up with a lot. Okay. So let's hear from Dave on fatherhood. One of the most important things to do is to be on the same page with my wife. We need to work together and to communicate. It's 
very often my job to help her efforts since she does most of the parenting and she's also very good at it so I have to recognize that do my part to help her one of the things we try to do is set a loving example we always put God first some of those things is is as simple as just praying before eating and to eat together as a family and go to regular Sunday services all right that's a good start we're actually going to hear from Dave again in a little bit but you know it's putting God first setting an example being on the same page as his wife and one of the things Dave told me was this he said your kids should never question if God is a priority in your life Hmm. that's how important setting the example is so set that first and line up everything underneath it all right that's his first advice and you know that's really actually a great introduction into Joseph as a father so let's drop in on the story of Joseph here and, and we've got a Set the groundwork uh, so we can tell the story as, as efficiently as possible. God chooses the faithful young woman, Mary, who is betrothed, engaged to Joseph, to miraculously conceive. The angel Gabriel tells Mary this is going to happen before their wedding. So how does she convince Joseph of what God is doing and to be on board raising a child conceived out of wedlock and not his? So we're going to drop in on the story of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So he finds out that she's pregnant, you know, and there's a story. Well... You know, I wasn't with a man. It was God miraculously implanting this baby into me. Uh Uh-huh. And that's exactly right. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And here's the thing. He doesn't want to disgrace her. And it shows that he loves her. So it's a horrifying dilemma. The scripture tells us that he was a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. And so as was his right... According to the Jewish law, in this circumstance, he determined to send her away privately because he loved her. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So Joseph carefully considers this life-changing decision. He sleeps on it, to be sure. And it gives you a sense that he's not being rash. He's trying to think it through because he really doesn't know what to do. And he's really shocked by all of this. And then came a dream. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph begins to clearly see God's purpose. Okay, it started to come into focus, and the angel continues in verses 21 to 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So this is interesting. Joseph has a dream and sees all of this in his dream. He he would have awakened with a conviction of God's will in their lives because the dream had angelic direction and it had prophecy in it. His direction was to do the right thing, and it would now bring him the privilege of raising the Messiah the savior of all humankind, to manhood. And it took a special man, especially in those days. You know, in those days, you didn't do what Joseph was about to do. 
Well, you know, Rick, it was interesting because I didn't realize this, but he had the right to stone her to death, according to Deuteronomy 22, or he could have divorced her, even though at this point, I don't think they were married. I didn't realize that an engagement was as good as married when it came to rights under the law. So he really had the power to, to ruin her life in many different ways or even take her life. But he was his decision was he was going to just put her away quietly and not make a big deal of this. What a nice man he was because he loved her. And, and, and you know, in that now, look, in, in today's world, you're raising a child that was not your own. It's a big deal, but it's not nearly as big a deal as it would have been then for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock then was a massive, massive issue. And Joseph took that issue and he saw what the angel told him. He believed it, and he stood up. And that, if that's not love, I don't know what is. So, Jonathan, our first fatherhood lesson is that of love. Go ahead. Love your wife. This sets the table for loving her children. Joseph showed us how to man up in the face of sure misunderstanding and persecution. Joseph took the reins given by him by God and forged ahead with courageous humility. You know, humility is often looked at as being quiet and kind of weak and meek. He was courageous in his humility because there could only be persecution that would come from such a decision. But he did it anyway. He loved Mary. He loved God. And he had determined at that moment to love this child. That is a great example of fatherhood. So before we go any further, Julie, uh, we do have another soundbite here from another individual regarding their dad. Well, using this segment's theme of love, I asked a good friend of mine named Rebecca to give us a few comments on the example of her father, a deeply consecrated man named Dan, who recently passed away from pancreatic cancer. And here's what she said about her dad. My dad knew how to love big. He gave it freely and without condition. He showed it in so many ways, in his time, in his work, in his great hugs, in his ability to comfort. He always made you feel like he was happy to see you and interested in whatever you had to share. His love showed his acceptance of you. I believe that this is how God loves us as well, and so I feel especially blessed to have had this kind of example in my daily family life growing up. He truly enjoyed doing for others and would never put himself first. He taught us to think of ways to help others and to take the opportunity to be of support to others whenever possible. His quote-unquote drop-everything way of doing for his family, even those late-night runs to the store when needed, was just such an inspiration to me. And Christ's example of service, as lived out by him, has been amongst the biggest lessons of Christian living to me in my life. She speaks a mouthful about a man who was very selfless in his life, incredibly selfless. So, And uh, we're going to hear more about Dan later on. Is that right? We will. And But one of the things about Dan was, you know, you talked about this, uh, what was the phrase you used about uh, humility? Mm-hmm. Courageous, courageous humility. humility. Yeah. That was that was Dan. Dan was courageous humility. He was not a an ostentatious man, not... Uh, you know, not going to be the loudest man in the room, but boy, did he make a wonderful example for his children and for his family and for his spiritual family who he touched a great deal. Yeah, he really did fulfill that first quote. My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. 
That's that, right. That's what Dan was a doer. No, no, no question about it. So the practical application of love here in this first segment, Jonathan, we have uh, Psalm chapter 103, verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So practically, God has compassion on us. And as fathers, we need to have that same kind of compassion. And, and you know, it, when you see a father with compassion, it helps you understand the compassion of God. So we want to be in the image of God in giving that compassion and love. And again, Joseph was a great example of loving his betrothed wife, wife-to-be, when she was pregnant and it wasn't his child. He went forward and he married her and he accepted the responsibility that would have only brought grief in social circles because he loved her, he loved God, and he was going to love that child. It's amazing how impactful and life-changing love for your child can be when it has a generational head start. Joseph is not mentioned much in scripture after this. Does that mean he became less important? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time. Then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. It is true at this point in the story, we usually begin to forget about Joseph and relegate him to being a background player because it becomes all about Mary and then all about Jesus. The lesson here, while a father's work is often quiet and unnoticed, it is no less critical to his family. And I think that's one of the things that gets missed. Just because something is quiet and not noticed in a public uh, arena doesn't mean it doesn't have importance. And as we will see, the lesson of Joseph's life really screams importance in the raising of Jesus through all kinds of turmoil. So Jonathan, let's get this segment started uh, with a quote from John Green on fatherhood. The nature of impeding fatherhood is that you're doing something you're unqualified to do, and then you become qualified while doing it. And I can tell you that the idea of being unqualified to be a father when you start, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It really is a tough thing to do to get your head wrapped around. And uh, so this this segment is is learning about how to do that. So, Julie, we have kind of like a a, a theme question for the practical side we want to ask this segment. What is that question? How can dads be effective when our society is set up to give kids their own world? You see, this the, the world we live in naturally separates the children from the parents. How can a dad be effective in that kind of world? And is that because when a child is born, all the tension gets focused on the kid? And then it's, it's there's like, what do you mean by kids given their own world. What does that mean? I mean that in the world of technology and screens and games 
and fantasy and social media. You have oh, this world. One wall after another from right. the connection that you have with right, your father. Right. And, and you know, the connection with your father is this little tiny thing. And it is, he's just going to tell me what to do. Where in this other world, I can decide what to do. I can like, I can dislike, I can have an adventure. I can kill the, kill the, uh, the, the aliens. I can do this. I can do that. I can conquer the, the mountain. So, we are in a world that doesn't naturally give us the 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 permission to be involved. That's a problem. That's a problem. Wow. So, Jonathan, life lesson and father from Jesus, early earthly father Joseph. For this segment, last segment, the one word lesson was love. What's the one word lesson this segment? Lead. Okay, simple. You've got to lead in spite of all of the mess, in spite of all of the temptations for kids to go down all of these different roads, the father must lead. So as we get started with this, let's get to another soundbite. Julie, this is another dad. Tell us a little bit about this one. Well, Aaron is a friend of mine, and he and his wife have been married for almost 34 years, and they have three adult daughters, uh, again, Christian daughters who are just beautiful and wonderful, and they uh, really, really love the Lord, and it shows in everything that they do. So I went to him. I said, how did you do it? What is your secret? Because that, that doesn't happen very often, and here's what he told me. We always looked at God as being the primary parent, and we were assisting. That meant his standards were the rules of our home. Things like compassion, loving and forgiving each other, honesty and trust, thinking of others, and contributing to the family. It also meant he was the final authority. If he didn't allow it, we didn't either. I love that statement. I think that's fantastic. So the attitude of these parents was that they were raising God's daughters. And that really is a different perspective. And so as it relates to the theme of leading, Aaron told me that while they set age-appropriate boundaries, their goal was to raise successful and independent children apart from the parents. So he would look for ways to say yes so that they could make their own decisions and be accountable for those decisions, even though it was difficult to step back and watch the girls fail at times. But that failure made them strong. Yeah, you know, and, and Jonathan, you and I have both had that experience, right? The, the difficulty of, of stepping back and, and letting your children go. That's right. Very hard to do. It is, but it's so necessary to be a strong parent, especially a father. It is so necessary. So let's get back to the story of Joseph and kind of fill in a few things. Joseph, Let's notice now Joseph is not the focus in the following accounts, but he's ever-present and always doing exactly the right thing. Up to this point, Joseph has been a father to the unborn. And now, again, this is not the story, the Christmas story, but the birth of Jesus happens to be part of the story of Joseph fathering this boy. Luke chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Also, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, 
and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So, you know, we all know the story and everybody likes to sing the Christmas carols and have the manger scene and you see the baby Jesus and you see Joseph and Mary and it's such a wonderful, serene scene. Well, folks, let's let's ask a few basic questions. Who's the one who got Mary there safely? Anyone? Uh, Julie? Joseph. <laughs> okay, good answer. Okay. <laughs> Who's the one who actually cared for Mary while she's in labor and actually delivers the baby? Joseph. Do you think Joseph had ever seen the birth of a child before this? No. Probably not. Probably not. So imagine, if you will, being the only person there doing something that is so traumatic. And then once the baby is born, who's the one who sets it up so mother is comfortable and baby is comfortable? How about this? The baby, you've been told, is the Messiah of the world. Yeah. And you're the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he is called upon in this story. And we never talk about this part of the story. He delivers the baby. He cares. That's courage. It is. It's courage. You know, and it's and he is doing everything that has to be done, and you don't hear about him. All you hear about is Mary and the baby, and then and then we're going to hear how the shepherds come in just a moment. But we get this sense: Joseph is the guy that gets all of this to happen. Yeah. That, there's nothing more vulnerable than a helpless baby and this young mother who just gave birth. You have to protect them. Even from wild animals, you'd have to protect them. Right. And remember, this is her first child. So she had never been through the experience either. This is just an amazing thing when you think about what Joseph did. So the shepherds do come around. Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. So the shepherds came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known to the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things with which told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So it's interesting. It says Mary treasured all these things and pondering them in her heart. Well, what about Joseph? You think he didn't treasure them? You see, he was the support. He's there, but he's not the focus. His job is, is to support. His job is to protect. His job is to guide. And even though he's in the background, you know that every single thing that happens is resting on his shoulders as the man in this situation caring for these two helpless individuals at this moment. So Joseph next shows himself to be fully focused on adhering to the law no matter what whispers and rumors might have already begun to circulate about because of his family. Because remember, she's pregnant, it's not his child, and he's with her. And here's what he does next. Luke chapter, we're going to fast forward eight days. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So Joseph continues to show his courage, his humility, and his leadership as he continued to receive and follow directions and instructions from God. In other words, he knows when the baby is eight days old, he's supposed to be back in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem, and that baby is supposed to be circumcised according to Jewish law. So he makes sure that that baby gets there. Now, 
there may have been many people around kind of grumbling as, you know, Joseph is waiting there. You see, that's Joseph. Um, he, um, he's, he's, uh, he, he's the one, you know, that baby's not his. She was pregnant before they're married. Did you know that? And who knows? But he brings the baby there anyway because mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do before God. And did you notice that these logistics are all spiritually driven? This is what the law requires, so this is what we're going to do with the circumcision. And this is why I think he was chosen for the job. You know, he had to perform tasks that were related to prophecy and law, and he had this high level of honor and integrity, and that's that's what a good father is, one with a high level of honor and integrity. Okay. And Rick, he was also blessed by Simeon's word when he ha- held him in his arm and, and rejoiced about the Messiah, uh, Jesus, that baby, was what he was waiting for his whole life. Yeah, and, and you know, those are important things because Joseph would have looked at those things and as the inevitable ridicule would have come over the next many years, because listen, when Jesus was a grown man, there was still talk about the, the conditions of his birth. Okay, so that would have been a tremendous encouragement. And Julie, you're right. It's all about spirituality. Joseph had his focus in the right place. And that's very much like Aaron was talking about your friend, our friend Aaron, who's saying, you know, God is the father of our children. Well, here God literally was the father of his child. And he treated the child with that kind of respect and so forth. So Julie, what's our fatherhood lesson here? Our fatherhood lesson is lead. Lead your family. It does not matter if anyone seeks or acknowledges that father's leadership. What does matter is that he guides his family to where they need to be. So what others think is not relevant. Where you bring your family in accordance with God's word and will, that's what counts. That's it. And that's what Joseph teaches us in this simple showing up in Jerusalem eight days after Jesus is born. So let's get down to some of the practicality. And, and, you know, again, we want to start to look at, you know, practicality of our society that brings people away from God into their own little worlds. But uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So a very practical scripture. We've all heard it before. But Joseph is a living example of this actually happening. So uh, if we could play a soundbite on this leading. Oh, yeah, I uh, forgot. We wanted to talk about um, Rebecca's sister, who we heard from Rebecca earlier about Dan. Um, Rhoda's her sister, and I asked Rhoda a little bit about how Dan was a leader and how he led the family. Okay. Two scriptures come to my mind when I think of the example my father gave me. The first is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. At an early age, my father gave his life to the Lord's service. He filled his time doing his best to that end. Dad worked an hour away, and yet he not only attended Sunday services, but also regularly attended two weeknight Bible studies, all of which he prepared for in private study. The majority of our vacations were to Bible conventions and Bible youth camps. 
All of this showed me how important it is to put the Lord first in my life as well. The second scripture is Psalms 31.1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. In every event that happened in our lives, from cars breaking down to family trials, and even when dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, my dad demonstrated complete trust in the Lord's overruling hand. Poor dad was outnumbered by his four daughters and of course my mom, but at times we would fret and worry out loud, and yet dad was always that quiet pillar of strength. He would give these bear hugs and urge us to have faith. He had absolute confidence that all would be made well in the Lord's way and the Lord's time, and that we just had to wait on the Lord. I hope to do that in my life as he did. Uh, you know, and I saw Dan um, about a week before he passed away, and I took him aside and I and I kind of quietly said, you know, brother Dan, are you are you scared? You know, because we knew he was dying. I said, are, are you afraid? Be honest. This has to be really scared. And he gave me this huge smile, and he said, whatever the Lord wills, it's all okay with me. And <laughs> wow. That's really hard to do. You're leaving a lot of things behind. Yeah. But he was so zeroed in on this, so focused on this Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. And that is how he lived his life. It is. It is, absolutely. And I knew him well. I knew him since I was a small child. And and I've, I think I've mentioned it before that Dan and his wife, Linda, were two in, the two individuals that saw in me the raw enthusiasm, the immature young man who just wanted to just be everywhere all the time, and they took that raw enthusiasm and gently acknowledged it, saw it as important, and gently guided me as to how to use it. They were the first individuals outside of my own family who said, you have potential. Let's, 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 let's work with it. And I, I'm telling you, they, they gave me an incredible start, and Dan is a hero in my mind because of that. And so, again, you don't have to be just fathering your own children. And even if you're not a father, the principles that we're talking about can apply to you in the people around you. Go, go ahead, well, Julie. You know, one of the functions of a natural father, aside from, you know, the obvious of providing food and clothing and shelter, is to provide a sense of identification with the values of the family. Right. And that's a really important phrase, a sense of identification with the values of the family. The father sets the tone for what will happen. And this is a small example, but I know with my own father, I've never once heard him swear or use off-color language. And he worked in the printing industry for decades where this was very prevalent. And yet he kept to his values of godly speech. And this was a great example to me that it's not okay to be careless with our words at any time, even when we're upset. So a sense of that identification with the values of the family, he sets that, that, that tone. And see, and that's exactly how you lead children in this world where they're given their own world. You lead them in the real world. You take that world, that fantasy world of social media, because folks, let me clue you, social media is primarily fantasy, okay? I'm sorry, but that's really what it is. Let's admit it. You know, all the liking and all of this, you know, it creates images, but it's not the real world. And the dad needs to step up, take that world, put it where it belongs, and lead them to the real, practical understanding of how to cope with real life that's not having to do with a screen 
that has to do with seeing what's around you and responding, not reacting, but responding to the input that you're getting. Jonathan, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, as we wrap this segment up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and the phrase you use, Julie, again, uh, about the, the, the mission of a father? It's a sense of identification with the values of the family. And that's exactly what Ephesians 6, 4 is saying. Don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And incidentally, that's what Joseph did as well. The responsibility of leading a family by definition starts out small and thankfully grows slowly over time. What happens after the drama of Jesus' birth? How does Joseph's fathering of Jesus still shine out? Learning about your hosts is always a good thing. Rick and Jonathan both love studying the Bible and sharing their thoughts with you every week. Did you know they've been doing this program for over 20 years? It started as a radio show in 1998. We moved to an exclusive podcast in 2016 and have enjoyed talking to all our listeners all over the world. Plus, these guys are best friends and longtime students of the Bible. That's part of why our Christian Questions team of volunteers and listeners feel like it's a big family. Talk to us anytime and hear over a thousand archive programs at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, let's get back at it. What's next, Rick? Any father will tell you that being a dad is a continuous learning experience, and for Joseph, it would have been no different. His experience did have one caveat that none of ours has, as he was fathering the Son of God, the Messiah. Think of the weight that responsibility carries. And Rick, I think uh, Christian fathers have a weight of responsibility also, obviously not to the degree Joseph did, uh, but... Our, our goal is to bring praise, honor, and glory to our Heavenly Father in our lives and let that shine out to our children. You know, and that's not an easy thing in the world in which we live. It is not, it is not, it is not. Great quote from Joseph Jolbert. Uh, Jonathan, what is it? Children need models rather than critics. And if you want to be a good dad, be a model. Be a model. Julie, just like you said about your dad and his, and his use, his uh, appropriate use of language in a world which incidentally has, has gone so far as to try to completely normalize off-color words, language, and content. And, well said. And what your dad did every day was to stand against that quietly and just be the example. And let me clue you, you draw attention to yourself, whether you want to or not, with that. And people notice. And sometimes you get ridiculed for it. Uh, sometimes others will, and I've had this experience in my own experience working in, in, in cabinet and countertop shops, they actually change when you're around. Because yes. after a while, it, it, it wears off and, and there's this respect. That's how you become the, the, the leader without having to lead. And that's a fathering tip for any of us in, in our circumstances. So, Jonathan, we've got a, a, a question, a practical question we want to put on the table for this segment. What is it? Um, has the world cowered active fatherhood out? And are too many other things to do to give your family what you want them to have? Okay, so has the world crowded active fatherhood out? Has it, have, have we made it that we're so busy with so many activities and places to go and things to do and experiences that active fathering is just doesn't have a place anymore? 
What do we do with that? Well, we'll, we'll work that into our conversation this segment. You know, our lesson, our life lesson in fathering from Jesus' earthly father Joseph, this segment, is, this is actually three words. First it was love, then it was lead, and now it's listen and respond. And Julie, we're going to go to another soundbite. What's coming? Well, this is Dave again. He was the father, he is the father of four uh, adult children, and uh, I think he's got a, a good advice on this one. I heard a radio program one time that promised never to talk at you. That's good advice with your kids also. Don't talk at them. Talking is a two-way street. Talk with them. Listen to them. It's really important to listen, and this will give you the opportunity to teach them right from wrong, and they'll be making good choices. What radio program is he talking about, Rick and Jonathan? <laughs> that was one of the themes that we used to use way back in near the beginning is we don't talk at you. We want to talk with you about the Word of God. And, and Dave obviously is a longtime listener. And, and what he did, though, is he took, takes that principle and says, this is how you communicate with your children. You don't talk at them because children need uh, models rather than critics. When you're talking at someone, you're being overly critical, and they're not going to hear you. They're going to try to defend themselves. So if you can talk with them, you are underneath the surface rather than beating upon the surface. And mm-hmm. trust me, there's so much more to gain by being underneath the surface. Dave, thanks. And, for, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, Aaron, who was the father of three girls we heard from earlier, he, he also had brought up that how talking and listening was super important. And he said this, if it was important to them... We tried to make it important to us. And if it was important to us, then we tried to teach them that it should be important to them as well. And I think this really promotes mutual respect, yet without elevating the children's needs as being more important than the adults' needs. I think this was really good training on how to act maturely, you know, and showing them that these adult decisions need to be made and bringing them into what's important. And that's a really good answer to the, has the world crowded out active fatherhood? You know, the world tries to, but if it's important to you, you should teach your children that it should be important to them. And if you've got your, 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 your basis and sound scriptural principle, you want to teach that lesson. And you're going to get ridiculed on the outside, and your kids are going to roll, especially when they're teenagers, they're going to roll their eyes at you and say, you're lame, and oh, if you just leave me alone, and none yeah, of my... You don't, want, you don't want teenagers. <laughs> just, you don't, you don't, for, that's our advice. Don't get teenagers. They're not good. Keep, keep them little babies. Well, you know, the good news of that is you get 13 years of warming up before you get a teenager. <laughs> So, I've seen that. You need those 13 yes, years. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So let, let's go back to the story of Joseph very quickly. The, the Magi came to Bethlehem, the Magi, the three wise men, where Joseph had settled his family long after Jesus' birth. They weren't there at the birth like all of the stories show. It was there in Bethlehem later that these three wise, wise men worshipped Jesus and gave him gifts. The Magi's visit also was a trigger for Herod, who was going to have nothing to do with any Savior being born within his jurisdiction. So we're going to go to Matthew two thirteen to 14 for our next view into Joseph's fathering. Now when the Magi had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So, you know, it's interesting. 
God had communicated to Joseph in a dream previously, and now he does it again. And he says, get up, flee to Egypt, your lives are in danger. Joseph's humble priority was to listen, and he already showed that he knew how to act. And all the angel had to do was to tell Joseph the what, the where, and the why. And Joseph's response was immediate, and it was complete. This is really important. He hears the message from the angel. So verse 14, Jonathan, what does it tell us about Joseph's response? So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Instant obedience. He didn't have the dream and kind of wake up and say, whoa, what an amazing dream. We're going to have to pack up in the morning and turn over and go back to sleep. Whatever time it was, this dream came, he gets up, he gets his family up, and they move. Keep in mind, they had settled in Bethlehem since Jesus' birth and were being instructed to relocate to another country in the middle of the night with no warning. And- yeah, but, but Rick, if, if you had a dream where an angel came to you from the Lord and said, you know, your wife is going to have the Messiah and it came true, of course you're going to get up in the middle of the night. Like, is this something that's so miraculous? Wouldn't you listen to the angel right away? Well, of course you'd listen to the angel, but the question is when? It's the middle of the night. There's no practicality in that. You know, Jonathan, and, go ahead. And how about compare and contrast uh, Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah, where the angels... He, he was told by the angels, but then he was grabbed by the angels to be pulled out of the city because he was not listening. Okay, yeah, you don't necessarily listen to an angel, I guess. But see, you no. know, now, now see, Lot was listening, but just wanted to listen in his own time. See, Joseph was not willing to listen in his own time, and that's why we're featuring his fathering of Jesus. He was listening in, on God's timetable only, period. And that is such a massive lesson for us. So they relocate. They go to Egypt. They just leave the country, and they start their journey in the middle of the night. Move on a little bit further. It ends up being time to relocate for a second time since Jesus is born. And again, we're going to read in in Matthew 2.21, Joseph is going to listen and respond and lead his family through another series of steps for their protection. Jonathan, go ahead. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream in Joseph, to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. So Joseph gets up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land. And it sounds like he's getting up again as soon as he's hearing the message. And, you know, you see this, and Jonathan, to me, this is fatherhood on just a whole different level of responding to what you believe the will of God is with affirmative, clear, undeniable forward action. You're not thinking about it. You're not saying, well, you know, I know it's the will of God, but does it have to be the will of God right now? I mean, really, it's kind of inconvenient. Got to get dressed, got to pull our stuff together. Well, we can wait till morning. Well, God knew the character of Joseph, and he, he saw his heart, and he knew he was the perfect choice to father uh, the Messiah. Absolutely. And, and that's, these are the reasons why. Because he was responsive, he was godly, and he was a protector. And those are all of the things. You know, in this world where there's so many things to do, so many places to be, so many experiences you can give your children, those are all great. But folks, don't do that at the expense 
of giving them the life lessons of godliness first. It may not come out as exciting and dramatic at the beginning, but it's one of those life lessons that over time shapes their life. That's how we cope with the the overstimulation of the world we're in. So God's faith in Joseph, like you were saying, Jonathan, was well-placed here because he, again, courageously walked his family into the unknown. God had also provided the gifts of the Magi, the three wise men, for them to go to Egypt as a way for them to sustain themselves while in Egypt. So God provided, and so did Joseph. See, it's not just God providing for them, it's Joseph doing his part. Whether anybody sees it or not is not relevant. Joseph is the father, he's the dad, and he's doing what he needs to do. Jonathan, what's our fatherhood lesson here? Well, listen and respond. To listen to the word of God takes attention and humility, but to respond by applying it takes courage. Listening is not complete without appropriate response. See, and here's the thing we've got to understand. It's great to listen, but if we don't respond, the listening is really an exercise in futility. As a father, you're required to follow the will of God if you're a Christian. Listen and respond. The two have to go together, otherwise you don't get anywhere. So, uh, Julie, we're going to get on to the practical listening aspect here, and we've got one scripture, and uh, Jonathan, it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. For it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So, Julie, looking at the lesson of Joseph from this segment, the listening and responding and the fatherhood experiences and the sound bites and all, where, what's, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that for a, a new father, for especially, um, you know, the lesson is to listen and respond to the will of God. And we have to study the scriptures to know the will of God. And the Bible is where you're going to get those good instructions on being a solid parent. Even if your own parents weren't the best models, you have examples that are in the scriptures that you can use. And I just think it is so almost criminal to have children that you're sending out into the world that we live in today that's just outrageous in every category, unprotected, you know, to leave them without faith and without hope and without knowledge of God's plan because they're going to have excruciating experiences. We all do. We all are heartbroken at some point. We all get sick. We all have these issues. And to not have that stability that you can go to I don't know what people do without without faith and without without the promises of God. It's it's hopeless. Well, it, it is. And, and and listen, if you're a father and maybe you haven't done as good a job as you as you should have, and you're looking back and saying, "Yeah, well, I'm a lost cause." Hang on. No, maybe you didn't do the right things in the past. It doesn't mean you can't change direction. Now, a change of direction doesn't happen miraculously. It doesn't happen all at once. It does happen one step at a time. And to listen and respond to the principles of good fathering are the way to do it. So wherever you have been, whether you're a father or not, again, these principles apply to anyone and everyone who wants to have a positive influence on those around them. Take the principle and say, I can be better because the scriptures are showing me how to. And whether or not I'm a dad is not the point. The point is I can still be better and I can still help draw others as I learn to listen and I learn to respond. So this is a really big deal 
not just for fathers, but for everyone. So the, the thing is, with parenting, it's amazing how quickly and dramatically things can change. We need to always be ready. So far, we have learned to love and lead our families as we listen from God's direction. What's next? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. The thing is, there's always more to learn. Fathering requires a man to not only adapt to the circumstances that his family faces, but to also adapt himself as well. And this is not an easy thing. This is not only a test of humility, it's also a test of the depth of a father's love for and devotion to his family's well-being. So it comes down to learning to adapt learning to change when necessary for the good of your family. And how much are you dedicated to going down that road? Jonathan, a great quote from Charles Kettering. Every father should remember one day his son will follow his example, not his advice. That's a big and powerful statement. You want to make sure that your example is worth following. Do you want others to follow in the footsteps? Look, even if you're not perfect and none of us are, do you want them to follow the direction you're going? Because you can talk to your blue in the face, but people will do what you say rather than what you do. So, Julie, the practical life question that we want to try to deal with as we go through the life of Joseph is what? Well, to be a father is to put your children in a position to learn but how do you do that when you're not so sure yourself? <laughs> you know, and that's a hard question. How do you do that when you're like, okay, yeah, great. I'm supposed to teach them. I'm not even sure what I'm doing. How am I supposed to teach them? So did you make mistakes as a father? Oh, man. You know, I, there, I can. <laughs> Uh-oh. Thanks. <laughs> Is that another show? <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, there's so many times when... Should I ask your children instead? <laughs> you can ask them. Uh, you know, but you, you, you do your best. And there has never been a single time in my fatherhood experience when I've had to deal with my children in, in the tough times, in the traumatic times, in the disciplinary times, whatever, where afterwards when I walked away and I kind of tried to think through what I said and did, I thought, man, I should have done this instead of that. Why did I dwell on that? Why didn't I go here? Where was my brain at? And, and the good news of that, and that can be frustrating, but the good news is what I would try to do is say, okay, next time, remember this principle and build it on the good. But there's never been a single fathering experience that I had where I thought, man, did I nail it, ever, not once. Jonathan, go ahead. And another good thing is your wife will always tell you <laughs> what you should have done <laughs> or said. Well, yeah, but you know what? There, there is some pretty powerful stuff in being able to listen to the voice of your spouse. Amen, brother. Because there is a wisdom and a perception that, she has, frankly, you don't. And when I began to figure that out, well, things got to be a lot easier. 
<laughs> so yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Julie. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So Jonathan, we're going to go to the, our next life lesson in fathering from Jesus, earthly father Joseph. And again, it's a one-word lesson. What is it? It's learn. There's power in that one word. There is transformation in that one word. So how do we apply it? Uh, Julie, we've got another um, another Father's Day soundbite. This is from a different dad. Tell us a little bit about the background here. Uh, well, this is Mark. And actually, Mark is one of your both best friends, right? Yep. Yes. And absolutely. how many children? He has two children, right? Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark Mark has a really good way with words, and uh, he's pretty profound. Take a listen to this one. Rick and Jonathan, happy Father's Day. Oddly, you need a license to go fishing, to operate a boat, or to drive a motorcycle. But you need no credentials to have children, and they do not come with an owner's manual. I have identified three major ingredients I would suggest to fathers. One, let your children see your reverence for God. Let them see that you endeavor to learn His will and to follow it on your own behalf and on behalf of your family. Two, love their mother. Work together. Cooperate. The family, the home you create is their safe haven, their resting place. Lastly, include them. Let them live life with you. Don't have kid time and then put them aside and have you time. They would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. Powerful, powerful. You know, make sure that they are part of your life. Not that you're just making a little time for them, but they're part of your life. Now, look, they can't be part of your work life necessarily, but they can be enough part of your life where they feel like they belong around you, not just when they have, quote, permission, unquote, but that their natural place is with you. That's a hard place to get to, but that's a powerful place to be if you can get there. Didn't you have a, a story once about going to uh, lunch with your daughter at her school? Yeah, you know, and that, that really piggybacks on the idea of, of listening to your wife. Okay. Yeah. Well, because, you know, she was, my, my wife, Trish, was always very, very astute at, at seeing how the dynamics were. And I've always been in my own, not always, but most of the time, been my, in my own business. And very, very, you know, when you're in your own business, sometimes it's overwhelming and it, and it can really, really, really take your life away from you. And I've had that experience. That's another story. Um, but there were times when my, my kids were small and they would, and she would say, listen, they each need individual time figure it out. And so because I was self-employed, I could make time during the day. So one of the things I would do, I did with my daughter, Emily, first. She was the oldest. I would go to school on Fridays for lunch with her. And I'd sit down at those little tables when she's in first or second or third grade, whatever it is. And we'd have lunch, you know, and my, and even though I'm a little guy, my knees are still knocking underneath the table, just saying, and, you know, (laughs) buy her ice cream after lunch. And then we'd go out for recess. And it got to the point where, all of her little friends were like, is your dad coming today? Because when we would play on the playground, it was like, we would always play tag and guess, they always chase, I don't know, I was the one that was always it or something, you know, but it was funny to just see that happen. And that dynamic, when my, my daughter Emily got a little older, she was like, okay, enough of that. Then I started <laughs> going with, with Amy, my younger daughter, and this went on for like three or four years just being a part of their life. And I wouldn't have, would have never thought to do that had it not been for my wife saying, they need your time, find a way. And because she was so clear, I found a way, and it made for a huge 
uh, connection that would have never been there. So you're right. You know, thank you for bringing that one. See, that's a good one. <laughs> you bring that up because it gives the sense of making time and making them part of you. Well, I think it also ties into Mark's advice of let them live life with you. Yes. You know, you're just it's it's part of it's part of making them feel like they are valued and they have value. Right. And uh, they're probably not going to find that online. Right. No, no, they're they're definitely not going to find that online. Okay, let's get to back to the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph's back in Israel. Okay, remember the angel told him in Egypt, okay, go back to Israel. He discovers the current political landscape, and now Joseph's fatherly instincts are causing him great concern. We're in Matthew chapter, chapter 2, verses 22 and then 23. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Okay. So this is telling us of Joseph's really astute attention to what God had been telling him over the past few years. Be careful, be careful, be careful. You're protecting Jesus, you're protecting Jesus, you're protecting Jesus. So he learned to look for the evidence of danger or the evidence of safety as he again moved his family. See, he was in tune with what God had showed him before in the previous two instances, and it shows you that he is learning as he's going. So he's thinking... Mm -hmm. I don't know about this environment. I'm not sure what to do. And here's what happens. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee, and he came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So again, he's warned in a dream. And, he's, and it's like, okay, Joseph, you're right. This isn't a good place for you. Here's where you need to go. And it just so happened to be the place, Nazareth, that would be prophesied of Jesus. So the whole thing works together, and the key is Joseph is learning. He's in the learning phase of taking the experiences God has given him and saying, now I know what to watch out for. And it's a huge thing. And folks, that's what we can do as well. So he's guided to, by God to relocate for a third time since Jesus' birth. He changed course, and he finally comes to settle into Nazareth. Time now goes by. This is where they settle. Joseph is now settling into his carpentry trade, and that's how Jesus became known. Matthew thirteen fifty-five. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So he was known as the carpenter's son. But Joseph didn't stop there. Joseph was also diligent to teach Jesus the trade. Because, look, Joseph knew that Jesus was special. But he also knew that he needed to be able to support himself. He didn't know how God was going to take him and, and, and what God was going to do with him. So he knew that he had to get Jesus to stand on his own two feet and to be a contributing member of society. So here's what we see in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Are they... And they all took offense at him. So this is the carpenter, Jesus. So you can see that Joseph, uh, at every turn, did what a good father does. He protected his son. He taught his son. He brought his son up to be responsible and contributory. And it's such a great, great series of lessons. 
he, and he gave him tools that he could live his life with. Because as you said, he didn't know when God was going to use him or how or where, because this had never happened before. Right. So he equipped him to be a well-rounded man. That's what a dad does. The fatherhood lesson, Julie, regarding learning is what? Well, learning is lifelong. And as we absorb our fathering experiences and apply those lessons, we open ourselves to becoming more in tune with God's guidance. And further, a good father teaches their children how to cope with life so that they can become lifelong learners as well. Okay, so it's not just about you learning, but it's about teaching your children to become learners as well. And we can see how Joseph did that for Jesus throughout all of these experiences. There's not that many, but there's enough to show us what an incredible man and an incredible father he was up to this point. Okay, it's time for a mystery guest. Yes, it is. Are you ready? Well, I suppose. Okay. Well, I'm not even going to set this one up. I'm just going to let this mystery guest speak for his or herself. Okay, here we go. I didn't have a great relationship with my father, and when he passed away in my early 20s, I felt I'd lost that experience that most children have building a real advice-seeking relationship with their parent. I always wanted a father who knew me better than myself and could give me advice from a higher perspective and respect for our Heavenly Father. I've always identified with the character of Job, who seems to lose so much, but in the end, God blesses him in ways he didn't even know to ask for. Much like Job, although I had a loss of my own father, God has blessed me with having a spiritual father through Rick. Rick is all the things you'd want in a spiritual father. He's fiercely passionate about the Lord and serves him with every fiber of his being. He genuinely cares not just about me, but about countless others who go to him because they're seeking help or advice. And he doesn't just pay lip service. He follows up, asks questions, and wants to know how you're really doing. Rick inspires me to be better, do better, and do more. And it's a privilege to be able to look to him and talk to him as a father I wish I'd had. God has blessed me more than I deserve. And that is true. This is very true. Becca is just... I'll speak for Rick at this point. Becca is just one of many people that I know, and I know that there's many I don't know, who go to Rick on a regular basis because they need that fatherly advice, and they know they're going to get someone who is going to stop, listen, listen more, and only then, after consulting with scriptural principles, will start giving advice and will help them get back on the path. And I know that you have counseled people that have been on the brink of suicide. I mean, we're talking about life and death situations. We're talking about divorce. We're talking about infertility, all kinds of things that, that really can knock Christians off their path. And they come to you and you help them. And so being a spiritual father is so important. And it's something that being spiritual adults, we can all do. What do you say, Rick, on this? Yeah, like, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> uh, that completely took me by surprise. It really did. And I, now I understand the mystery thing. Um, I, but I will tell you, I am, I am so touched. I can't even begin to express how, what that, that means to me. Um, but, but you know, the, the, the experience of fathering my own children 
And we had trauma in our lives. There was a lot of very difficult things that happened. And, and God was gracious through every one of those things. And he, God held my hand as I held my children's hands. And I knew that through all of those things. And, and by his grace, uh, just helped us get through. And now at this stage of life, I'm a lot older and my kids are grown and I'm learning that there are many who need that's those exact same principles based on Scripture in whatever life circumstances are. And if God gives us the grace to know the principles and be wanting, willing and able to listen and respond, then he gives us the opportunities as well. Jonathan, go ahead. Rick, uh, in your family, it's a heritage thing because your father was one of my spiritual fathers. Uh, I lived with y- your dad, Richard, and your mom, Anna Mae, for six months, and I witnessed what a home and marriage and dedication to life and to God were all about. It was just what I needed to learn, just what I needed to learn it. So yeah. uh, it, there's a long line of, of wonderful family members in, in your family. There, There is, there is, and, and we have been blessed, and, and, you know, so Becca, thank you. Thank you, and thank you again. Um, you are precious to me, and you are like my daughter. You really are. And it's a, such a huge privilege to have these adapted spiritual children. Not adopted necessarily, but adapted. You know, And, and to, to, to be part of the same family going in the same direction. You know, so, you know, and the whole point, Julie, is putting everyone in a position to learn. That's what we're really talking about here is I don't have answers. See, that's the key. Whenever people come to me, I don't have answers. All I have is lots of questions and scriptural principles, and they figure their own lives out. Yeah, because you you can't fix it for them. Right, right. And I don't even try. And so it's a beautiful experience. So let's get on to some practical learning here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Or what man is there among you whom when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? You know, and that's the principle. God is so willing for us to be blessed by him in ways that we cannot imagine. And it's not necessarily physical ways, but it's in our spirituality. Why don't we go running to see his blessing like we would run into the arms of our physical father because we know of his unconditional love? Right. That's and Becca uh, actually wrote me uh, today. We had some email exchange, and she said, Thankfully, God is the most patient father who always allows me to make mistakes and slowly, but surely shows me that I can and need to trust him because he always, always has my best interest at heart. And my conclusion is, even if we've had a poor example of a father in our life, God, through scriptures and our experiences, really demonstrates the best, most awesome, and perfect father we could ever imagine. And find those people in your life that can help to fill that gap. It is enormous when you do that. Jonathan, one more scripture, 1 Thessalonians two eleven and 12. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
you know, the apostle is talking about exhorting others as a father to children. There's this incredible strength in that relationship. And again, folks, you don't have to be a father to take the principles and apply them to others. You don't have to be a child to take the principles and have them apply to you. It's all about the learning experience. And you don't have to know all the answers either. You find the scriptural principles and let them do the talking. You know, parenting is one of life's greatest learning experiences, as well as one of life's greatest teaching opportunities. There is not always drama in fatherhood. What can we learn from the more quiet times of life? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. After tumultuous years of moving from place to place, Joseph can now finally settle his family down. As Joseph looks back on those years of uncertainty, I can kind of picture him quietly nodding to himself as he thought about God's protection and grace. Now it was time to have roots and raise his family to honor God. And so they are in Nazareth. Joseph the carpenter teaches Jesus as a young boy to become the carpenter. Uh, Jonathan, a, a good quote to get us started from Ger- George Herbert. One father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. Okay, you know, <laughs> well, see, but here, here, here's, here's the importance of that particular point. We get too lost and too comfortable in the idea that, well, I'm working, I'm supporting the family, and they're learning the things they need to learn in school. No, they're not. They're being educated in school, but they're not learning the life skills the way you would teach them with the principles and priorities you would have. Don't fool yourself. A hundred schoolmasters do not match the influence of one father who is trying to be driven by scriptural principle. Don't ever get stuck in that. Uh, Jonathan, before we continue, uh, Trish walked in. She has something to say. Trish. Well... I just figured since it's about fathers, uh, I have two cards here from uh, your two daughters. I'm not going to read the entire card because they're both lengthy, but I wanted to read the note at the end of each card. I thought that they hand wrote to you. It says, Dad, thank you for always being there to lend an ear, give sound advice, or just make me laugh. I consider myself lucky and blessed to have you, a dad like you, Logan, who is our four-month-old grandson, is so lucky to have you as his papa. That's from our daughter Emily and her husband Don. And then the note on the other card, it says, Dad, thanks for being the rock and endless support of our family. We love you, Amy and Dan. Thank you. And, you know, little things like that go a long way. And, uh, And again, folks, it's how you live. It's how you live. And if you didn't understand it, it's how you live. So what, what's, the, what, what's the life lesson for this, this segment, Jonathan? One word. Live. That's right. <laughs> That's the point. You know, and, and, the, and the question, the general question, what's the very best way to teach your children the life lessons they need to know? Well, we just answered it again and again and again. Thanks, Trish. Uh, put it in perspective. It comes down to how you 
live. Julie, we have another soundbite. Who are we going to this time? This is going to be Aaron again, and, and, and we asked him for what his advice would be to other parents. Okay. So as a parent, if I were to give advice to another parent, if you're trying to honor God, raise your children in a godly way, I would say bring God into your own life first. Make Him a priority in your own life, and then it becomes a priority in everybody else's because they affect and impact you as well. They may not make it the priority that you want it to be, but because it's important to you, you automatically start sharing and teaching and respecting and acting that way. And they pick up on it. They may not agree with it, but they pick up on it. And so I think that that it really does speak volumes as to um, when you're doing the right thing and you're honoring God, it's going to be it's going to bleed out into the family. They, it's and and even if they don't respect it, and even if you know the screens are teaching them otherwise, it's still something that's becoming ingrained in them, and they're going to see a difference between what's out there in the world and what's out there in home. And, and that's what I think you need to do is set that difference. And and the key to that though, the the real true honest to goodness key is. Make your stand known to your children right? by showing them your life. Not showing them what you think is ideal. Showing them your life and let that, that, uh, that example be ever-present every day. It does sink in, and sometimes it takes a really long time. That's a big responsibility for a father. It is. It is. And, you know, it strikes me. This is deadly serious what yeah. we're talking about because this really affects society as you're raising these little humans to go out into society and what God thinks of you and your family and how he will interact, interact with you. It's really serious. And, and, you know, by making the stand and showing your children, that's exactly what Joseph did. We're going to go to one last experience of Joseph being the dad to Jesus. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 43, and then verses 47 to 51. And this is when Jesus is 12 years old. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Okay, stop right there. What's important about that text, Jonathan? It's a short line, but what's, what's important there? Every year. Uh, Joseph was consistent. He showed his devotion year after year to God. Every year of Jesus' life, up to when he was 12, and of course we know that it kept going on afterwards, Joseph brought them to Jerusalem for the Passover. So Joseph lived a God-honoring life, always brought his family to Jerusalem for the Passover. He lived the example, and Jesus could see it. Let's continue. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days— the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. So, you know, we always look at that verse and say, oh, ha, his parents were unaware. That We think that's the most important thing. That's not the most important thing in the verse. What's the most important thing here? Well, Rick, it's after spending the full number of days. They didn't miss a thing. They were there for the complete time. So Joseph brings his family every year, and he goes through the entire process of the entire Passover celebration in Jerusalem without fail because it's the most important thing. Fulfilling the law, honoring God is Joseph's most important thing, and he brings his family. And these are the details we never think of when we read these stories. But this is the fathering that Joseph gave to Jesus. So now, of course, 
They were there from beginning to end, and, and Jesus, we know the story, stays in Jerusalem. They thought he was with other relatives, and, and they find him there three days later in the temple, and he's listening, he's asking questions, and he's only 12 years old. And, you know, so here's the response of those who hear him. And all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astounded, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Your father and I. And it's interesting, Mary does this, the, the talking. Joseph gives, gives her the ability to do that. And so she speaks to, to, to Jesus for the two of them. And what's his response? And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. So they didn't quite understand but they were given this 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 incredibly difficult answer. What's the matter? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This is a 12-year-old. Okay, but he knew. He knew his mission. And so Mary and, quote, his father, worried, as Jesus explained, that he was in, quote, his father's house. Now, you think about that. Joseph is his father, and yet Jesus' response to him is, I was in my father's house. What do you think goes through Joseph's mind at that moment? Perhaps he begins to see the shifting perspective because he knows he is raising this special child who is going to be the Messiah. And perhaps what goes through his mind, and this is just, this is just conjecture at this point, but maybe he's thinking like John the Baptist thought later on when he said about his work in relation to Jesus' work. He said, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. Maybe Joseph began to see, aha, this is where things are beginning to change. Didn't keep him from teaching him to be a carpenter. Didn't keep him from teaching to be being responsible. Didn't keep him from fathering. But it gave him an insight that the work was bigger and was going to eventually be handed off beyond him. So let's finish up those verses. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So, you know, it's interesting. In spite of the shifting ground, Joseph continues to father Jesus. And um, it's, it's, it, to me, it's a remarkable lesson in story. God's plan of hope is not only built upon the firm foundation of prophecy, but it's built with the sturdy and enduring materials of character. Joseph was chosen as a critical early support for the young and tender Jesus. Joseph was as strong as a man, courageous in his decisions, daring in his actions, and most importantly, humble in his obedience to God's will. And that, my friends, is how you man up. Be like Joseph the father of Jesus. Julie, just thoughts on the Joseph story as we're beginning to put this all together. Well, I do want to put in a, a small commercial for uh, CQ Kids. You know, about once a week, we produce a, uh, a short a short two-minute video for children on different Bible stories and different character stories. And we have one coming up very soon. It's being processed right now. It's being created called What Was Jesus Like as a Child? And it'll go through this uh, experience that Jesus had when he was 12 and, and when he was a young baby. And you can find all of our videos at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. 
and also on ChristianQuestions.com. Just look for the videos on our homepage. Uh, there's some really wonderful, inspirational things to watch and to listen to. And, you know, and again, when it comes down to looking at the principles here and, and you know, the videos are for the children to be able to learn and get a, get a, a start, a, a principle in a, in a fun way. This is so adults can learn and get a start and get principles in a very serious way because the, the, the object of fatherhood is to raise children up so they can be on their own. And Jonathan, you really started us off that way by talking about your uh, approach to your son. I mean, at the very beginning of the podcast, that was the theme. And now we come to the very end, and guess what? It's still the theme, because that's what fatherhood is. It's to raise them up, to give them the tools to become uh, responsible, contributory adults who can make a difference in the world in, 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 in good and positive ways. You do that primarily by how you live. And if you didn't have a great father example, no worries. Be the great father example or find the great father example. Whatever it is, take it, embrace it, take the things we've talked about and make them part of your life. So Jonathan, as we wrap this up, what's our fatherhood lesson, our last fatherhood lesson for today? Live. Ultimately, the greatest lesson any father can teach his children is the observation of his own life. More than any profound words, more than gifts, more than a beautiful surroundings, the manner in which you live your everyday is your greatest teaching tool. The manner in which you live your everyday is your greatest teaching tool. Just make sure you live your everyday in the sight of your children. That's the key. So we have one last soundbite. And Julie, you didn't, you, this one wasn't from you. <laughs> this is actually a, a produced soundbite from the movie Courageous. And I really don't know the story, but I love this soundbite. Uh, it is a man standing at a pulpit in a church, and he's obviously talking to the fathers and saying, wake up. It's a call to action, and it's a Christian call to action. And folks, we really have to respond to this kind of thing because fathering is incredibly important, and it's made to look like it's not important anymore. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a social misnomer that's there that deceives us and put, lulls us into a feeling of complacency. We need to stand up for what's right. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you. 
and to say, I will, I will, I will. Will you? That's the question. Will you? Jonathan, finally, Proverbs chapter 3, 4, verses 3 and 4. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Keep my commandments and live. Let your heart hold fast the words of the father in the sight of God. That's what it is. Live the role. Live the role. Julie, any any final thoughts? Well, you know, if you study the Bible, it gives us wonderful examples of what good fathers are and what bad fathers are. And God is ultimately our amazing father who we can depend on. And, you know, Jonathan, I know that you and I, we've talked a lot about fatherhood for years and years and years and years. And really, for both of us, it comes down to the same thing. God's will needs to be my will. That's right. And for us, that's how we look at fatherhood and where it's supposed to bring us and what it's supposed to do. So, folks, as we take this time today to honor the responsibility and utter privilege of fatherhood, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, let's take the principles, whoever you are, and apply them. Whether you need them, you need the help, find that fatherly image an individual who can help you. Whether you're a father or not, take the principles and reach out to others who need the guidance, need the growing, need the direction, need the life example, and be that person walking in the footsteps of Jesus that says, follow me as I follow Christ. To all the fathers out there, will you? Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about, does God really love humanity? I know the answer, and I think you know what I would tell you, but... We'll talk about it next week. 